listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good morning, friends. If I don't know you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio and I'm the other pastor here at City Church of Long Beach. And it's good. It's good to be here. Even as Bill was praying, I was realizing like, oh, here comes that emotion again. It's been a heavy week. I took a long walk yesterday and, you know, was listening to a a podcast processing some of the events of the last week and, you know, so quickly found myself just crying, you know, just weeping as I was walking. Um, And it was so good. Like I needed that, right? And and so just a an invitation. Um, I I don't know what emotions you're bringing here today, but they are they are all welcome. Um, They are all holy and sacred, and and we just we get to to walk through this together. Our sermon today is not necessarily about this past week. It, It was planned you know, several weeks, a month ago, what we were going to be talking about and preaching on. And, and yet it absolutely is about the events of this last week, because it's about the heart of God. And it's about the heart of humanity, which has been twisted in some deep and unholy ways, um, in somewhat predictable ways for a long, long time. So we're all aware of what happened this week. There was sort of a story of of two Americas this last week. There was the mob who descended on the Capitol and so many important, necessary, difficult conversations that are arising out of that, particularly around race, around the reality that this was an expression of white nationalism, of white supremacy, and it, its deep roots in our country. Not only what brought the people there, what they were expressing uh, in their actions and in their words, but even in our response to it, the response of um, those watching, the response of those on the ground, deep, difficult conversations. And for some of us, it's also raised some deep, difficult conversations about faith and the role of faith in everything that unfolded over this last week. Because the people carrying the Confederate flag into the halls of our Capitol, many of them are also carrying crosses. And the people carrying lynching nooses were also carrying signs that says, that said, Jesus saves. And so from so many different um, parts of of Christianity in America, all these church leaders started to respond, and and rightfully so, to to really, there was perhaps late, but some starting to take responsibility, some starting to say, we have to name and acknowledge how particularly the white evangelical church has been complicit in what emerged this past week in the ways that there has been an idolatry of nationalism in the ways that Jesus' name has been put on things that Jesus would never have recognized teachings in the name of Jesus that, that have nothing to do with the person 
and the way of Jesus, the fear of the other that has been created in the white evangelical church. And yet with all of that beginning to name and beginning to repent, one of the things that I, I noticed and, and I thought, oh, and we're going to have to do better than this, is that there was also a sense for many of the leaders writing and, and people who many of them were, were very thoughtful. But there is a sense of it's just now, right? That this has been a blip, kind of an aberration over the last four years. Or, or maybe, maybe we can look back a couple decades and say, where did evangelicalism go off track? But the reality is we're actually going to have to look back a whole lot farther than that because this wasn't a blip. And I say that with a lot of sadness as someone who was formed spiritually in, in white evangelical churches. And, and I've had to grapple with that and I've had to heal in many ways from that. Many of you may have heard these words before, but they were written in the 1800s by the abolitionist Frederick Douglass. And so almost 200 years ago, writing, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. White supremacy has been part of the evangelical church since the beginning. It, it was just the mental gymnastics the theological gymnastics that people had to do to try and reconcile following Jesus with holding slaves, with abusing black and brown bodies. It's been there since the beginning. And, and we have to name that, honestly, if we're going to have any chance of healing. Because white supremacy is not going to be rooted out easily of our culture or of our churches. But here's the other piece, that there was a second big story and a second picture of America in the news this week. And that was the election of Raphael Warnock, the first African-American Senator to represent the state of Georgia, a minister, a civil rights leader, And he says this, my ideals are driven by my faith. That's what has caused me to fight for access to affordable healthcare, the dignity of work and, and voting rights. This minister now elected to become a Senator. Holding up this picture is actually not about politics 
per se, not about elevating a particular political party, but it's about looking for this Jesus who could be, who is pure, peaceable, impartial, not about hoarding power, but about restoring shalom. What kind of world is the Jesus you're following leading you to help create in your neighborhood, your workplace or your school, in our country? Are we gonna be about pushing some people down and out or about recognizing that everyone belongs and everyone matters? That is actually the question that our scripture is leading us to today. So our friend Raylene Pacheco is gonna read for us. So appreciate that Raylene, whenever you're ready. Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 55, uh, 56. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love thy name of the Lord, <clears throat> and to keep his servants, but who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Raylene. Um, and thanks, Brenna, for kind of setting the stage. Uh, so we're going to just look at the scripture. Uh, again, this is a passage that we picked uh, a long time ago for, for this day. Uh, and it's just right. I want to do just a brief introduction here. There's some heavy stuff in here that we're going to wrestle with. Uh, but I want to notice with you some of the some of the themes in the in the introduction to this passage at the beginning there's this idea of salvation and doing justice many times uh, particularly like in the church that i grew up in the white evangelical church those two were separated and one was centered it says just do just just do the salvation thing just get people saved and and justice was sort of back here in the, in the background. 
if, if you look at that first verse, the very first verse in this passage, it says this, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Notice that they're, they're hand in hand. These two go together, justice and salvation. The spiritual journey is the journey of doing what is right in our world. It's how we actually live. As one uh, public theologian has said, uh, justice is what love looks like in public, right? So these verses, um, what they're going to do is as they hold justice and salvation hand in hand, they're going to expand our vision about who is welcome in this justice-loving, salvation-bringing kingdom of God. And it's a little hard for us to tell as we look back, you know, at this, the scriptures written 2,500 years ago. So it's a little hard for us to, to get at it, but I, I want to show there's a, there's a plot twist here in the, in the scripture where the very people who were presumed to be insiders are said, no, 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 that's not what this is about. The story isn't about who's in and who's out. It's a story about how radically welcoming this family is, how expansive the vision is for who is inside. And so this is what it says in verse two. Again, so verse one is salvation and justice. They're together. It's integrated. And then it's this picture of who is welcome. So listen to this. It says, blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now, let me just unpack this. There's a lot of religious language in here that's hard for us to connect with. We talked a little bit about the Sabbath last week, this idea of resting, of rhythm, of trusting God, of embracing our humanity and our limits. And then this idea of keeping our hands from doing evil, that's, again, this picture of what justice is, not oppressing, not doing evil. And this is the picture, but, but the key is in this passage, and this is where the plot twist is. This is, this is what we miss is it says, blessed is the one who does this. And uh, again, the presumed believers, those who thought of themselves as insiders would think, oh, he's going to talk about me. God's going to talk about me, that I'm the one who does justice. And instead, there's this, this plot twist. No, the one who does this, God now is going to enumerate with two key groups that were never expected to be on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. Because what he moves to, the writer of Isaiah, of what God is talking about, is talking about two very unexpected groups talking about the foreigners 
and the eunuchs. And we see this in verse three, let no foreigner, foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, even though the foreigners were the ones experiencing exclusion and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. And I think we need to sit with this just a little bit to kind of go, well, just say a little bit of a wow. Like, wow, let's understand who these two groups were back then and really resonate and see the resonance with where we are today. Now, foreigners, in some ways, that's, that's easy, right? Because we, we all know about racial and ethnic division. We know about nationalistic um, rhetoric. I mean, that is what we have experienced to such an overwhelming degree this last week, this last year, the last hundreds of years. Like this is in so many ways our story, the story of our culture. The Israelites had a distinct identity as a people group. It was created by shared history, shared culture and customs, a shared faith in their God. And so often that was expressed in a sense of we are in and they are out, expressed as othering, foreigners, those who would be treated as second class. And we see that story play out over and over and over again in our world today. Some are in and some are out along racial and ethnic lines. So many other lines that we could imagine. But here's the other, the second group uh, that gets mentioned specifically is that of eunuchs. And, and I don't know that we have as much cultural resonance with that, um, as much cultural understanding of who would be included in that group. But the eunuchs, where there are two broad kind of categories of people who might be included uh, as eunuchs. One would be those who were born with ambiguous genitalia. So those who it was difficult for the parents, for the community, when a child was born, for them to play, be placed on the gender binary as either male or female. And the other people who would be put into the broad category of eunuchs are those who had um, experienced castration. And so through a surgical procedure had now sort of moved outside of that gender binary and all of the different social hierarchies and rules that were, have been, and still are created around the gender binary. So that in fact, not only are eunuchs now recognized as, as really the the, uh, the, so, the uh, sexual minority group that's most mentioned in the Bible, many references to eunuchs in the scriptures, but probably in our modern day world, the closest parallel would be for those folks who are transgender. So that this is actually a group that's, that's called out, that's highlighted in the scriptures, say, you know, those who are often considered outsiders who are sexual minorities. And the uh, abuses, the experiences of exclusion and of oppression uh, that transgender folks in particular 
have experienced, you know, it, those have not been in the news in the same way over this past week, and yet we don't want to miss it. We actually don't want to miss that. And so I'm going to pass back to you, Bill, for just a minute to, to talk about over the last, last few years in particular, what that's looked like and felt like. Yeah, and I, I'm not claiming to be an expert here, um, but I did want to just give a, a brief summary um, and I'll just keep it brief, but the last four years for our transgender friends uh, have been excruciating. Uh, and for LGBT people in general, uh, it's been very hard, uh, very difficult. And this is, again, this is what the scripture is speaking to this community. Um, so our current administration, uh, let me just, I'll, I'll bring a, a brief summary of four particular issues that have created the cultural climate right now. So number one, the current administration banned transgender service members from serving in the military. I mean, just, just sit with that. You're, you're out. The current administration has allowed federal contractors to fire employees simply for their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Federal government has rolled back federal guidance to schools on treating transgender children according to their gender. Current administration last summer also attempted to deny medical rights to transgender and gender non-conforming people. These are just four specific um, sort of policy, broad um, implications. There's so many more. There's so many personal stories of exclusion, abuse, pain. These are the broad cultural touchstones to help us understand that what the Bible is speaking about 2,500 years ago is precisely what we're facing today. Then and today, we exclude, we push out, and in doing so, we harm. And yet here, what we see is that Isaiah, he starts messing with people, starts messing with their categories and what they think they know. Sorry, this is a first with the cat joining me for a sermon. Um, he starts messing with them. He says to the foreigners who've been pushed out on account of their ethnicity, their customs, their skin color, he says, hey, if you wanna come in, you are so welcome here. And he says to the sexual minorities, you love God? us too. Let's love God together. But the thing is, this is actually a big deal. And if I were an Enneagram type eight, like Bill, I would put it this way. I would say it's a big deal because the Bible is contradicting itself. I'm not an Enneagram type eight. I don't need drama and conflict. Everywhere. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's so good to say it that way. 
<laughs> Here is what an Enneagram one might say. The Bible is in conversation with itself. It's amazing to see. And in raising this, in showing it to you guys, it's not because we're trying to mess with you, not trying to make you doubt or feel like the Bible is too complicated to understand. It's actually to say, let's read it well. Let's read it better. And let's look for how it points us to Jesus because that's what he actually said it was for. He's talking to a group of people and he says, hey, you go to the scriptures like you're looking for life. They're actually pointing towards me. So that's what we're gonna try and do here. So the religious leaders of the day, the ones giving all the justifications for the exclusion, they had firepower. They had ammunition in the text. There's no doubt about it. In Exodus 12, 43, we read the Lord says to, said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. And then again, in Leviticus 21, 17 through 20, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who's blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, or who's a hunchback or a dwarf, who has any eye defect or has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. I mean, talk about exclusionary passages. No foreigners, no eunuchs, no one with any disability of any form. And yet we see here in Isaiah, is the Bible beginning to talk back to itself, having a conversation with itself? The people of God asking themselves the question, did we get that right before? Did we really understand the heart of God correctly? What God was saying, if he meant it for all time, is exclusion really the heart of God? And that is the question we're still wrestling with at a heart level today. And Isaiah is saying, no, absolutely not. Sorry, I was just, I was just sitting. I was just like, whew, ah, so good. Thanks, brother. Yeah, so specifically eunuchs are said, you are welcome here right and and that has not been their experience um one of our one of our transgender friends um posted this i saw it this morning on their social media and i wanted to share it it's uh from a guy named alexander leon he says uh queer people don't grow up as ourselves we grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpack which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. I mean, just sit with that, this sense of, this is what so many of us have had to do. 
play a version of yourself that sacrifices your authenticity in order to protect yourself. And now as an adult, still trying to figure out how to unpack that. What Isaiah 56 says, this is in verse five, specifically to the sexual minorities, to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Like, you were excluded specifically in Leviticus from entering the temple. Now I am saying specifically within the temple, you will have a place, a dwelling, a home, a name, a future. This is God's heart. God's heart to, to bless those who've been excluded. And I just want to take a moment today and specifically name friends here, some who are out and some who aren't, some who are in various, I mean, all in various stages of our journeys around our sexual orientation, around our gender identity. You are welcome here. God sees you. And God blesses you. God says, you, you matter to me. You're mine. You're my beloved child. Jesus jumps on, on this theme in Isaiah in such a huge way. He actually points out that eunuchs, the sexual minorities, aren't just allowed in. They're actually leaders in the family of God. And I, in Matthew 19, 12, he, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the religious people like me and saying, look at the sexual minorities. They're the ones who are leading the way in the kingdom of God. This is what it says in Matthew 19, 12. And Jesus says, they're eunuchs who are born this way. They're eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. There is not a hint of exclusion in the voice of Jesus. There's nothing but honoring, welcome, affirmation. And friends, today, I, I hope you can hear that. I hope you hear it, um, sure, from me as, as a pastor, as a religious leader, from Brenna, from us, from your church, from our board, from this community. Hear the blessing of God. And even more than that, I hope you hear it from Jesus himself, who is saying, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I'm going to let you sit with that for a minute, with that word of blessing. The inclusion and the radical welcome 
of foreigners of the other. It's a blessing too. And yet as I was thinking this morning and praying before the sermon, it occurred to me that some of us will experience that blessing differently. There are those of us on this call who have experienced a lot of othering in our lives. We know deep down in our bones, we are the foreigners who culturally in so many ways we've been pushed off and we need this word of welcome to know that God, God sees us. God calls us near. The heart of Jesus is always for those who have been pushed to the margins. That's always where he goes first. And we need that word of comfort. We need to know that we are seen, particularly at the end of a week that has been so traumatic. And yet there are others of us who have not experienced othering as much in our lives. Those of us on the call in particular who look a bit more like me. And what's so interesting is that the reality is this category of other in the scripture, of foreigner, it includes 99% of us on the call today because the majority of us are not Jewish. It's just so interesting to remember this, this belief that has been bred in some of us from birth that we are insiders, that we are the gatekeepers, that we are the ones who get to decide who is in and who is out. It's not reality. We're not the chosen ones. We are not the people of Israel in the story. So often we're Egypt, we're Rome, we're the empire, the oppressors. We actually need grace too. There's only one gatekeeper here, only one gatekeeper. And God is throwing it open wide. Only one gatekeeper. Here's what God says in Isaiah. The standard of admission is the one criteria to be considered in God's community. To love the name of the Lord. In verse 6. That's it. That's it. Not a big complicated list. Do you love the Lord? In City Church, sometimes we talk about it as a centered set. Not about who's in and who's out, but what direction are you facing? What centers your heart and your life? What are you moving towards? Do you love the Lord? You get to self-select. If you do, God says, awesome, welcome, welcome here. And then comes this famous line 
in Isaiah that Jesus quotes later. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then Jesus later says this, isn't it written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, I had a friend at seminary who was Jewish and a deep lover of Jesus. And so often she talked about the peoples of God, very, very intentionally, not the people of God, singular, but the peoples of God. Because what she was saying was, it matters to remember and to celebrate our diversity, our differences, even as we celebrate what unites us. We're all invited in. And when you come in, the expectation is not that you default to some majority standard, some oppressive standard. We're all invited in to bring our full selves, our sexual identities, our cultural identities, all those bits and pieces that make up who we are. And it's hard work. I just wanna name that as we start to sort of wrap down this conversation today, we just have to name. It's not easy, actually. It's hard work to create unity and celebrate difference at the same time. And the work doesn't look the same for everyone. I was thinking of my own family, uh, which as some of you know is a bicultural family. I'm white, obviously. My husband's family is Mexican-American. Um, and it's been the work of, I think, 17, almost 18 years now to figure out what does it look like to create a family bonded by love, rooted in our love for each other, that expresses both of our cultural backgrounds. And, and I want to say, again, it's, it's not the same work. One of us, our culture is just, it's the water we all swim in, right? I don't need Israel to do a lot of hard work to understand white culture. I don't need him to do a lot of hard work to celebrate white culture. Doesn't that almost sound like an icky idea? That's not what I need from him. Now me, on the other hand, I've needed to do some hard work to understand my own culture because it's the water that I swim in. And I've needed to do some hard work to understand his culture. And it's so much more important to me to celebrate the Mexicanness of our family than the whiteness of our family because I look at my four children and I think you're gonna get plenty of affirmation for the aspects of your identity that are white. That's covered. Man, I wanna lift up the beauty of this side. It looks different. Our work is not going to be the same necessarily as, as we work together to figure out how to create community. Obviously it's gonna be even more complicated as we bring in all of these different cultures, all of these different experiences all these different voices, it's gonna be hard work. And 
you know, Bill and I are not going to be perfect as we try and lead in this direction. We are going to stumble. We're really going to try. We're going to do the work and we're going to apologize as readily as we can when we screw it up. But this is the work that God is calling and inviting us into as a community. <laughs>